I want to get into our message for today. And today we have a pretty big and uh, quite important topic that we are going to be digging into. And it's one of those topics that uh, most of us, if not all of us, are somewhat familiar with to different degrees and different levels. But what I want to do today is really try to gain some understanding of this concept and how we can better apply it to our lives. I want to dig a little bit deeper than we might typically do with this. And so the topic we're going to be discussing is the concept of worship. All right, the concept of worship. So again, I know that when I say that, we are all somewhat familiar with what exactly that is, but I I do want to go a little bit deeper because worship is one of these words that that does get thrown around quite a bit, uh, especially within our context, right? This is something that, that we often talk about. It's something that we often sing about. It's something that we teach about. And honestly, when it comes to the concept of worship, When it typically gets brought up, most of us will automatically go in our minds to our own experiences of this, our own views of this, and likely even our own preconceived notions of what that word actually means. That's just instinctually how our mind works. And oftentimes, what we fail to realize is that worship is such a bigger concept than we think it is on the surface. There's something so much bigger going on here that we really need to be aware of. And in fact, in many ways, you could say that worship is our ultimate goal as God's people. You could say that that our life's purpose as God's creation comes down to this concept that we call worship. And yet it's, it's something that has taken a very interesting journey over the course of history. We see this um, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We see it from the early church to the Roman Catholic church. We see it from the Reformation all the way up to today. Worship really has gone down quite a, a windy road. We see these different variations. We see these different approaches. But here's what we ultimately need to see. We need to see what true, genuine worship is in Scripture. That's where we need to land. We need to truly understand what this concept is at its core. And then we need to understand what that means for us in terms of how we live and experience this concept. And so that's exactly what I want to do today. I want to try to break this down. The first piece of this message, we're simply going to talk about how we can better understand biblical worship, okay? When we use that word, what are we talking about? What does that mean? We're gonna try to wrap our arms around this full concept. And then the second half, we're gonna talk about what that means for us. Again, how do we better apply this? How do we better live within this concept in the way that God intended? And so I'm uh, looking forward to doing that. Before we do, can we just say a quick word of prayer Again, I know that this is something that um, you might be familiar with, but I hope that we can open our hearts and our minds to what God really has for us. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this opportunity to come together and, um, and to worship you and to lift you up and to make you known. And I pray that you would truly open up each one of our hearts and minds to what you have for us today. I pray that you would help us to remove any distractions. I pray that you would help us to truly focus in 
on what it is that you want to, to tell us and speak to us. And I pray that you would use me according to your desire and exactly what it is that you want to accomplish. And as a result, I give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. So let's go ahead and begin to dig in. So what is this word called worship? What do we mean when we say this? What is the point of it? And by the way, for this first uh, part of this, if you are a note taker, I would encourage you to take diligent notes because we are going to try our best to kind of fit a bunch of puzzle pieces into one picture. And so however you focus and retain information, I would encourage you to do that. But let's begin with this, okay? The concept of worship in scripture is best understood by one simple Greek word that is used quite prevalently throughout scripture. And we're going to put this on the board for you. And I am not going to try to pronounce that, but what I will do is I will tell you that there are two primary senses that we get from this word that really opens up our eyes to what worship is truly about, okay? Two primary senses that we need to understand. The first sense of this word comes down to the idea of reverence, okay? This is the first sense of worship that we get in in scripture. It comes down to, to reverence, to respect, to admiration, to esteem. That's what it is. In fact, many times in the Old Testament, This word was used in a a royal context, meaning to bow down or to uh, bend the knee, so to speak. It's the sense that somebody significant is in your midst, and so you need to humble yourself in their presence. This is the, the first sense of the word that we get, respect and awe and humility. But the second sense of the word we get is the idea of devotion, meaning to give yourself to or to submit yourself to someone. Again, in scope of their significance, I want to give everything I have, devote everything I am to them. And this sense of the word brings in the ideas of attention and affection, meaning this person is worthy of all of my attention, of all of my affection. And so that's exactly what I am going to give them. That's what devotion truly means. And this second sense of the word is one that we're probably a little bit more familiar with. In fact, you may have heard in our language somebody say something to the effect of, man, you, you worship that sports team, right? Or man, you worship that girl. Whatever context it is, what they're saying is you're giving that thing or you're giving that person all of your attention and affection. That's what devotion is. And so of all of the things that that maybe you thought worship was or you thought worship might be, this is the truest sense that we see in scripture. Awe and reverence that leads to devotion and affection. Okay, this is the foundation that we have to work from. But then as we move that idea forward, we see that this ultimately comes about by way of the heart and the mind. Meaning, this is very, very important, it's an inner disposition that informs our outer expression. This is an essential aspect of the concept of worship and one that Jesus clearly speaks of. If we go to John chapter 4, starting in verse 21, he says, An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Verse 23, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. 
Okay, this is probably a, a verse that you would want to circle or highlight in your Bible. It's one of the foundational verses of this concept. And so let's break this down a little bit, maybe understand exactly what is being said, starting with the idea of worshiping in spirit. When Jesus uses this phrase, what exactly is he trying to say? And the first thing we see is that he's saying worship is no longer about going to the mountain to meet with God. Um, worship is no longer about going to the temple to make a sacrifice. There's something bigger now going on here, which is simply that true worship is about the heart. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an inward endeavor, meaning there's depth, there's meaning, there's authenticity. Again, it begins with an inner disposition towards God. We see this again in the words of Jesus in Matthew 15. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah. And he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Think about that for a second. Think about that disconnect that's happening. They honor me with their lips, but, but their hearts are far from me. And then watch what he says in verse nine. They worship me in vain. See, Jesus is saying this type of worship where, where it's all about the external and nothing is going on on the inside, that is vain worship, meaning it's empty and, and it's meaningless, right? And, and so you can sing all you want to that there's a hunger and there's a thirst. You can sing all you want to that you're desperate, that, that God would immerse you. But if there's no true hunger in your heart, if there's no genuine desire to draw closer to him, Jesus says you worship in vain. Regardless of what you say, regardless of what you do, if it's not genuinely from the heart, it's not true worship. Now, what does worship from the heart really mean? Because really when we say that, there's still some level of, of vagueness that we not need to try to, to clear up. And so here's the best way that I think we can understand. And listen closely, because this is so very important. Worship from the heart is about being wrapped up in the supreme worth and value of Christ. Yeah. Worship from the heart is about valuing Christ above and beyond all things. That's what it's about. Yeah. And one of the best pictures we get of this is from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter three. This is one of my favorite uh, sections of scripture starting in verse seven. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Just think about that. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. I love this so much, and many people don't realize, but this is really one of the best verses that we have when it comes to the idea of worship, that we would count everything as a loss in comparison to the gain of Christ. In other words, he stands above it all, right? He, he stands above money and possessions. He stands above sport and hobby. He stands above food and drink. He stands above it all. And in fact, if all of those things were to fade away, we would feel no emptiness inside because nothing compares to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you want to know what worshiping in spirit is ultimately about, this is your answer. A genuine heart that values Christ above all things. This is what Jesus is trying to show us. But he doesn't stop there. 
right? He doesn't just say that we should worship in spirit. He says, worship in truth, meaning genuine worship from the heart, listen, is ultimately informed by truth. Our our heart is being stirred by what we believe to be true. See, this is the importance of growing in wisdom and knowledge and understanding. This is why the Apostle Paul in particular continues to push us in that direction because the deeper we grow in truth, the deeper we grow in worship. As we better understand who he is and and what he's done, his, his nature and his character, we can better express our true reverence and affection for who he is. Like we discussed last week, truth is yet again that the driving force, it's what's pushing us in the right direction. And this is an essential aspect of our worship. Listen, we need to always ensure that our understanding of God is based on truth. Let me say that again so that it didn't just go right over your head. We need to always ensure that our understanding of God is based on truth, not based on opinion, not based on preconceived notions, not based on something we heard as a child. It must be based in truth because here's the thing. If I am worshiping a God that I believe is constantly angry, then then that's not true worship. If I am worshiping a God that I believe is limited or that I believe is lacking grace, I am not truly worshiping him. And it's vital that we hold this tension in play. And one of the reasons that this is so important is because it gets us out of this mindset that worship is simply an experience. That idea puts it in a box that it ought not be in because worship is a fully embodied endeavor where truth is informing the mind, the mind is informing the heart, and then the heart is what overflows into outward expression. That's what worship is. Do you see how much bigger, how much more involved that is than we typically think it is? In many ways, we've cheapened this down to a few external things and aren't realizing the profound nature of what it really is. Now, all of that being said, worship does indeed involve the external being, right? As I said, truth informs the mind, the mind informs the heart, but then what overflows from the heart is outward expression. This is an inevitable aspect of worship. And there are two ways in particular that we see this taking form in the New Testament. Okay, two ways we see this very clearly. The first we would categorize as acts of praise. Okay, this is, this is the first outward expression of worship that we see in scripture. And praise is another one of these interesting Greek concepts that has different forms and meanings. But there's two in particular that I wanna share with you today. And the first one is the idea of celebration. This is one of the really clear aspects of praise that we see in scripture. Listen, just the idea of celebrating God. It's, it's joy and, and gratitude and enthusiasm expressed in the body towards who he is. We see this in Luke 19, 37, as Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. It says, as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. 
So you see here, there's this sense of celebration that is happening through the people of God. There's this sense of joyful gratitude flowing out from their hearts. This is the context in scripture where we see singing, where we see dancing, where we see people crying out, hallelujah. It's this big celebration of who God truly is. This is the first sense of the word that we get. The second one is, is simply seen in the form of speech, Okay. In other words, what we say, what we speak is actually a form of praise. And I know that that might seem trivial, but there's actually quite a bit of power that comes with that. Let's go to Luke 1, 64. It says, and at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he began to speak in praise of God. He began to speak in praise of of God. This is a very interesting concept. You could liken it to, to saying that, you know, you praise somebody for their hard work or you praise somebody for what they did. What you're simply saying is that you're giving them a compliment, right? You are, you are commending them for their work. You're praising them with your mouth. And what that means is in our praying and in our teaching and in our everyday language, we are to worship God through the things that we say. We, we can actually give him reverence and attention and devotion in and through our words. We see this in Hebrews 13, 15. It says, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So, so we worship him with our words. But then watch what the very next verse says, verse 16. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. So, so now we see this idea of worship taking a, a bit of a turn because while the first outward expression is acts of praise, we now see the second one is acts of service. This is the other way that we worship God, by, by serving him, by serving others. In fact, this is one of the clearest forms of worship that we see in the New Testament, or, or really throughout the entirety of Scripture. Um, the picture of the, the priests and the Levites who are serving within the temple. The picture of Christ who is giving and healing. The, the picture of the first church just sharing everything they have with one another. These are all beautiful, clear pictures of what genuine worship truly looks like. Now, I think one of the most helpful ways of, of thinking about this one is by thinking about it as reflection. Meaning, how are we reflecting the goodness, the love, the truth of God back into the world? How are we doing that? We do that through acts of love. We do that through acts of kindness. Through our sacrificial service, we are making him known to the world. In fact, this is one of the reasons that we are called image bearers. Because we are called to reflect his image back into all of his creation. That's part of our life's purpose. And this is no doubt an essential aspect of what worship needs to look like. Okay. Now at this point, let's take a bit of a pause. And let's maybe take a, a deep breath here. Because I know I just threw a bunch of information at you at one time. What I want to do is I just want to do a quick refresher, just quickly recap what we just talked about so we can move into the next phase, okay? So as we look at worship and what it truly is in Scripture, we see that it represents reverence and devotion done in spirit and truth expressed through praise and service. 
okay? I know that's a lot to chew on, but just keep chewing on it. It's reverence and devotion done in spirit and truth expressed through praise and service. This is what worship ultimately entails, okay? Now, as we kind of wrap our minds around that and try to figure out what exactly that means for us, what I wanna do now is talk about how we can better apply that to our understanding and to our lives. Because maybe there are some ways that we have misunderstood this. Maybe there are some ways that we have misapplied this concept and we need to get on the right track. And so let's talk about a few of those opportunities, starting with the understanding that worship goes beyond experience, okay? I've already said this once today, but I think it's very, very important for you to understand worship goes beyond experience, And what I mean when I say that is for so many of us, when we hear the word worship, we automatically think to ourselves about singing and clapping our hands or raising our hands, right? That's immediately where our minds tend to go. But what we see clearly in the New Testament is that this is severely diminishing the true idea of worship in in many different ways, starting with what we just talked about, which is that worship is largely about service, Right? It's largely about how we serve him. So rather than simply responding to a worship song, we respond by how we live our everyday lives. We, we respond by how we sacrifice for him every moment of every day. That is worship. Paul speaks of this in Romans 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. This is another one that you can highlight, you can circle and continue to to dig into because this is very important. What Paul is saying is this is his idea of worship, that, that we would be willing to present all of who we are to God in service. That's worship. See, this is why Paul likens us to the hands and feet of God, right? This this is why he calls us God's workmanship, created in Christ for good works. That's why he says these things, because what he's trying to say here is that we are called to serve God in all that we do. And this is what is considered worship, okay? Now, the other sense in which this goes beyond experience goes back to the idea of, of simply giving God our attention, Because worship in so many ways simply comes down to awareness, okay? Being aware of God all around us, being aware of God in everything that we do. In many ways, that's what worship looks like at the foundation, which means, listen, when we confine worship simply to an experience, we actually end up holding it back in so many of the other ways that God deserves, See, see, listen, he deserves so much more of our attention. He deserves so much more of our affection than a simple worship service will give him. He deserves so much more. And in fact, can you imagine the level of worship that we could actually give him if we truly understood that? Just like constantly pointing our focus and awareness toward him every moment of every day. Like, how can I orient my family time toward God? How can I orient my giving toward God? How can I orient my job toward him? How much more could we actually worship him? Even when we do walk in here on Sundays, that that would continue. Like, how can I make sure that my clapping is pointed toward him? 
How can I make sure that my singing is directed toward him? How can I make sure every beat of the drum, every strum of the guitar is given to him? That's what worship is ultimately about. In so many ways, it simply comes down to how we can aim our attention and affection in the right direction, which is ultimately toward him. Now, this is what leads us to the second point that I want to talk about, which is that worship is diverse. Okay? Worship is diverse. I think this is one of the big things that we need to gain understanding of if we are going to look at this rightly. Because here's the deal, okay? If worship is truly about ensuring our reverence and devotion is always aligned with him, then just think about all of the different ways you and I can do that. Think about all of the the ways that you and I can give that to God in our own way and in our own context. And yet this is sadly one of the ways that the church has been divided over the course of history. It's almost like this has been squeezed out through the strain of religion and tradition and ritual. We just don't appreciate the different ways that we can give him our love and affection and devotion. We don't appreciate it anymore. Like, 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 honestly, guys, I really do believe that some people direct their hearts toward God best through singing. I really do believe that for some people, that is the best way that they can point their attention and affection to him. I think for others, that's done in silence. As they quiet their minds, as they focus into his presence, I think that's the best way that they do it. I think for others, it's reading scripture. There's something about the written word that just stirs their hearts and their affections for him. For other people, it's, it's serving, right? That, that, that as they serve other people, there's something that points their eyes toward who he is. All of this is happening in different ways. And I don't know why that surprises us, honestly, especially in a time where we understand better than ever the differences in our personalities and the different ways that we express love. I don't really know why that surprises us. And so rather than letting that diversity bother us, why don't we learn to appreciate the beauty of that? Like, like honestly, think about it. God is getting the glory and attention in all of these different ways. That's amazing. That's awesome. We should encourage that. And so here's the thing, and I think this will help many people here. That means, listen, that you don't have to compare your experience with God to the experience of others. You don't, have to, you don't have to compare. You don't have to align yourself with what everybody else is doing. All you have to do is explore worship for who you truly are in Christ because that's what God is interested in anyways. Like, listen, if you don't believe that God enjoys the different individual relationships that he has with each of us, I think you're kidding yourself. I really do. I think he loves that. I think he, he revels in that. And so explore this for yourself. Explore this for your relationship with him. And don't find the need to compare that with other people. Now, just as we shouldn't compare with others in worship, we also shouldn't judge others in worship. This is another big one that sometimes we can get tripped up on. Because here's ultimately what this comes down to, Okay. Listen, if, if our hearts are genuine and, and our minds are informed by truth, then we are on the same journey anyways. Right. We're on the same exact journey. We are here to give him our attention and our devotion. We are here to make his glory known and revealed. And so if some of us do that through liturgy and the reading of Psalms, awesome, that's fantastic. 
If some of us do that through an emotional song with good lyrics, fantastic, that's awesome. In fact, I, I say we celebrate that. I say we celebrate the differences. We celebrate the fact that God is just getting the glory in all of these different ways. We should encourage us. We should push us. We should help one another in this endeavor to make sure that we are worshiping him truly. We are worshiping him truly. And this is what brings us to the last point. And that is worship is ultimately and radically God-centered. This is the last point. This is the most important point. Let me say it again. Worship is ultimately, and it is radically about him. This right here is the very foundation of our worship. It's, if it's not completely centered on God, then it's not genuine worship. And again, let me remind you so that you're not putting this within a box. That includes acts of praise. That includes acts of service. In word and in deed, it needs to be God-centered. We, we even see this in the handing down of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting in verse 7. It says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or in the likeness of what is in the heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. Listen, you shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So, so listen, true worship is ultimately wrapped up in one single thing, and that is him. That's what it's about. It's, it's about making sure that he is the priority above and beyond anything else. And here's the deal. I know that that sounds really simple on the surface, and, and I think most of us feel like we get what that means. But if I'm being honest, I think we violate this in ways that we don't even understand. And I think we do that on a pretty regular basis. Throughout the week, as we give other things more of our time and attention, throughout the weekend, as we serve other things with more vigor and passion, even if we just talk about coming here on Sundays, the same exact thing happens here. For instance, listen closely. One of the big things we don't always understand is that worship is not about what we get out of it. That's not what it's about. We may very well get something out of it. Typically we do, but that's not the purpose, nor should that be the posture of our hearts. And yet the truth is, myself included, many of us will, will turn on a worship song or we'll come here on Sunday and we'll think to ourselves, man, I just, I just wanna be refreshed. I just, I just wanna be fed. I just, I just wanna be strengthened, right? So many of our, our minds end up in that place. And while that indeed may happen, and I hope that it does, and, and, and while the intentions of that may not be bad, what we're unintentionally doing is twisting the very purpose behind it. We have effectively stripped it of its true intended value. See, here's the beauty of worship, whether it's individual, whether it's communal, here is the beauty of worship and listen closely. There is nothing that makes God more honored and more supremely valued than when people come to make him the center of all things. There is nothing that makes him more honored, nothing that makes him more valued. People who are truly persuaded that God alone is what satisfies. Not, not money, not job, not sports, not family, not friends. God and God alone is the one who truly satisfies. And at times, I think we forget this in ways that we might not be catching, guys. I think sometimes it, it kind of slips through the cracks. Again, another example, when we approach God in worship, 
whether that's done here or, or at your home or in your car. Listen, when we approach him with, with broken hearts and when we approach him with lives full of broken things, the power of worship is not that he will take those things away. Listen closely. The power of worship is not that those things will magically disappear. The power of worship is that all of those things simply fade away as we gaze at the beauty and splendor and value of Christ. That's the power of worship. See, we don't worship God because he takes the pain away or because he provides the answer. We worship him because what stands above the pain and what stands above the answer is him and him alone. And so whether we get that thing or we don't get that thing, he is still all in all. That's true worship. That's true worship. We must ensure in all that we do, in all that we say, in all that we put our hearts to, God remains at the center. That he remains number one. I know that sounds intense. I know that sounds really big, but listen, if he is indeed Lord of your life, if he is indeed the author and finisher of your faith, then this is what he deserves from you, that you would make him the center of your life. Not just in a worship service, not just on the weekend, every moment of every day. And this is how we worship. And so here's how I wanna to end today. I want us to just close our eyes. And I want us, I really, really want us to just approach, approach him in genuine, heartfelt, truth-informed worship. And I don't know what that looks like for you, I don't know the, the best way that you feel like you do that, but I would encourage you to step into that. Heavenly Father, right now, we come to you as your people. Right now, God, we just sit at your feet. <laughs> We're not worried about anything, not distracted by anything. We're just here for you and you alone. God, you are the creator, the sovereign God of the universe. There's nothing that compares to you. There's no one that compares to you. And right now we just look to you We look to you with splendor at who you are. 